from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to a bonus episode of Round Trip Death and part two of our interview with Megan Brown. If you missed part one, which came out just three or four days ago, it's episode number 352, and I would recommend listening to it first. Now let's pick up where we left off. They brought me into heaven as a visitor. So I visited heaven. And I remember a few things that happened while I was in there. All right, let's keep going. What do you remember? Okay, so I remember there was one point where everybody had to take violin lessons because the violin in heaven, it balances your left side and your right side, your female and your male side, your chakras, your meridians, your soul. It balances your soul. It aligns you with love is what it did. That's what it represents in heaven. So you have to take violin lessons. And what is so funny is when I sat down to take my lesson, Mozart is the one who writes all of the music. So automatically I sat down, I knew exactly how to play violin. It, it was pretty amazing. So all of us, I don't know how many of us there were, but there were multiple souls around with the music stand in front of them with the music sheet, you know, reading what our music was. And God and goddess were sitting in these huge chairs as like in the front. And I don't know where I was in there, like how far back I was. But at the end, I remember at the end, God and goddess were very, you know, happy that everybody had played such beautiful music because Mozart, as he told me, because I met with him too, he told me, he said, my music, I created uh, the highest frequency of love, 528. And I thought, wow, here I am sitting with Mozart, you know. But before I get there, um, when we were done playing the music, all of a sudden I remember hearing slapping like this wing gush flapping. And I looked up and there were archangels. There were all of these archangels flying in and they stood on tiers. And I don't remember, there were many archangels. I don't remember how many there were. I don't think all 1,000 were there. I don't remember though. There were so many. And it was amazing how this happened. All of a sudden they started singing. But it was this voice that was a note that doesn't exist here. It does not exist. It, it was literally angelic. And it was, it was so powerful. It was so incredibly powerful how it made my soul feel. I can't speak for anybody else that witnessed it there, but I can definitely speak for myself and say that I was absolutely amazed, you know, with um, the power of that note. Have you tried to recreate it here? You said it's impossible. 
but have you have you tried or or you know listened to all kinds of music trying to find it no no but you know it's interesting i just thought of something when you asked me that question there are there are two notes that they told me it was i believe it was c sharp and b flat and you play the three octaves on the piano you can only play it on the piano or the organ or a keyboard of some sort, right? You play these, these notes, so you're playing six, and it opens the pathway into heaven. So if you wanted to sit and meditate, I'm not kidding. You want to sit and meditate, and you want to get into heaven, and you want to get heaven's messages. And I used to do this when I did my readings for people, because I got the ability to do that after this. So I tried it for a while. I don't I don't need to do it every time, but I got to start doing that again. But if you play those three notes, it opens the pathway to heaven. So which three? C sharp, B flat. What was the other one? That's it. Those two, but you play all three octaves. Oh, okay. On the piano. Okay, I'm just making a note of that here. Yeah. Okay. I I should let our listeners know, um, you've called this your five days in heaven. Yes. Because they're wondering, where is this going to end? Because this is a lot longer than most experiences that we hear. Uh, this podcast isn't going to go for five whole days. That's Don't worry about that. But let's keep going. What happened next? So you know the, vi- you know the violin now. You're buddies with Mozart. Right. Yeah. So, I, oh, yeah, I'll tell you. Speaking of Mozart, I'll tell you how that happened. So I got called into Temple again back to where I met in the beginning of getting into heaven. And this time it was just me, Mozart, and Bach. And I thought, why am I meeting with Mozart and Bach? I mean, it's fascinating, I thought, because I was married to a musician. I thought maybe that's why they're having me meet with musicians. I didn't know. So I sat there and I thought, okay, what are they going to tell me? I don't know how long this went on for But we sat there and they went into great detail about changes that were coming to earth and changes that I needed to be aware of. And the only changes that I can remember them talking about were coins and money, currency on earth. They said that there is one currency that is trying to come in, that they're trying to infiltrate earth with. And I don't remember what else they said about that specifically, but I do remember that they said, save your coins. You're going to need your coins. It wasn't until I had my store in Sedona and I went into the bank. And as I'm approaching the bank during COVID, it was after, you know, there was a period that I was shut down for two months, but I went to the bank to go get coins And there was a a sign on the door, you know, that they taped up there saying, we have a shortage of coins going on. Please, you know, this is for businesses only and da-da-da. And I thought, oh, my God. Mozart and Bach, boom, flooded into my head. So I had been saving coins. I'd already started saving coins. But I started every penny, every dime, every nickel I'd come across, I put it in with my other coins, because I don't know, you know, what that's what that's going to come to. But God also, I forgot back in temple when I was sitting there, God said to me, um, plant seeds, 
and save food. You're going to need it. And water. And I thought, really? And I don't remember when it's going to happen. I don't remember how, but he told me that importing, exporting is going to stop. He told me a lot of stuff that I'm kind of afraid to say, you know, because I'm not into politics. I'm not into any of that, you know? So I don't want anybody to think, oh, well, she's this side of the, you know. Yeah. But basically it was a, hey, be prepared because something may be coming. Oh, something will be coming. It's not may. It's something will be coming. Something will be coming. Yes. Did he give you any idea of when? That's what people are going to want to know. When or what? Well, he. I'm sure he told me when, but they don't allow me to remember everything. That's probably better. Right. And uh, in other words, I don't remember when, it, if he did tell me when, but he did tell me. I remember oh, so well, loud and clear, save food, save seeds, plant a garden, save water, and be prepared. I think that's always good advice. Whether you believe something's coming down the pike or not, I think that's always good advice. Yes. And COVID taught us some of that too. Yeah, absolutely. Save toilet paper. You should have put that on the list. I know, right? Why didn't you? Such <laughs> or an stock up. Thing, I guess. <laughs> okay, keep going. Let's see. So I met with Mozart and Bach. Oh, and then at the end, so as we're talking, all of a sudden, God, boom, just appears. And he's standing. It was Bach on my left. I'm sitting between Bach and Mozart. Mozart was to my right as we were talking. And all of a sudden, to the right of Mozart, along the side of the table, God's table, God appears. And he's standing there. And we all immediately stood up and we bowed. And, and he said, please sit down. And we all sat down and we're staring at him. And he looked at me and he said, Megan, come forward, please. And I thought, no, 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 not God. He's so intense. You know, what is he going to tell me now? So I, I walked up in front of him and I stood before him and he looked at me and he says, what have you learned? So he was testing me. He was testing to see if I was paying attention. So I told him, and I remember like immediately saying, well, uh, I have to say, my coins and um, currency is going to change on earth and oh extinction that was the other thing that that uh, Bach and Mozart were telling me about that I, I reported to God as of hearing you know hearing with them extinction languages becoming extinct from the very beginning the first language is Latin throughout every all Latin was the only language Latin is the first language create, from the creator, it, it began with Latin. Latin broke off into many different languages. It then broke off into Italian. I think Italian was next. And then it broke off into these other languages because people were separating themselves. That's a whole other conversation. But God said, okay, so you've been listening. The extinction, right? And the extinction of humanity, and the extinction of currency, the extinction of language, the extinction of tribes, the extinction of religion, the extinction of practices. I'm standing there and he said, okay, 
all right, well, you're going to go back and you're going to talk about this stuff. I thought, oh my God, no, I can't. I mean, what do you want me to do? This is, people are going to get upset by this. And, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. And so God just looked at me and I started to cry. I just started crying. And he looked at me and he said, Megan, why are you crying? And I said, because this is the the toughest job interview I've ever been on in my life. And I don't want to f- it up. And he looked at me and he smiled and he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, I have absolute faith in you. I've hired a pro. And he leaned forward and he gave me a kiss on my forehead. And I thought, God, just kissed my forehead. Oh, the pressure's on, you know? So I remember that happening. Then I remember, and this is all probably out of order, you know, of when these things took place, but I'm going to jump to to walking down the sidewalk there in heaven and all of a sudden looking up and in front of me was Freddie Mercury. And I thought, oh my gosh, Freddie Mercury, really? I've been a fan since age 11. Are you kidding me? You know, I've met loads of famous people, right? What we consider famous people. But Freddie Mercury, this is a guy that I wanted to talk to. I mean, amazing. So he looks at me and he says, hi, how are you? And I said, oh, my God. I said, I feel like crap. I'm in kidney failure on earth right now. It's so painful. And I'm telling him this whole thing. And he said, okay, well, do you want to have some fun? And I said, yes, I would love to. So he took my hand and he turned around and we just walked side by side. And we walked to this outdoor arena. It was a concert arena, you know, like an amphitheater. And all of a sudden, I I don't know how he disappeared, but here I am in the audience with all of these other souls wearing these white robes. And Freddie Mercury was gone, but all of a sudden this show started. It It was literally a show, but it opened with Spike Jones and Billy Barty. And what's funny is I met Billy Barty when I was a kid, I was selling raffle tickets to my um, chili cook-off. So, I mean, it was just funny. So here I am watching you on stage now, but this time he's with Spike Jones doing their skit from their show that they had in the 40s or 50s, whatever it was. And so it opened with them, and then it went into Ella Fitzgerald and Cole Porter, and she was singing. And, I mean, could it get any better? I don't know, but it did. It got better and better. And then I remember the band, the band called Queen in Heaven. Heaven's version then, it was, of course, Freddie Mercury on piano and lead vocals. But Marvin Gaye was on piano as well. Rick James was playing guitar and doing his dancing. Terry Kath from Chicago was on bass. Buddy Rich was on drums. And it was amazing. This was the greatest concert I've ever been to. I mean, I can just tell you, heaven. It was great. It was a great concert. So after the concert was over, I remember being inside the tent where I had to stay. And there were the 27 archangels who were in the beginning in in temple when I got to heaven. They were sitting in this tent. But then Ella Fitzgerald was there. Terry Kath and Freddie Mercury were sitting straight across from me at this table. And then, gosh, who else was there? I mean, Marvin Gaye and, you know, all these souls that were there. Buddy Rich, he was really quiet. As a matter of fact, Billy Barty was there. And 
we we all just, you know, started talking and laughing and having a great time. And we were eating bread. I remember bread in these baskets on the table, but the table was really big. I mean, it was huge. And then these cherubs would come in and fill up our glasses with red wine. And the decanter, there was a decanter on the table, it was crystal, and they'd fill up with red wine. So we were drinking wine and eating bread, telling stories, talking about past lives with each other. I was married to Marvin Gaye in another life. Um, Terry Kath and I were brother and sister in another life. You know, it's like, you know, who was the husband? Who was the wife? I don't know. What was our, I don't remember all of that, but it was really interesting. It was really a lot of fun. But all of a sudden, all of these cherubs start flying into the tent and the tent is lighting up and getting whiter and whiter and in walks Prophet Muhammad. And every one of us immediately stood and we all, you know, were welcoming him um, respectfully, knowing he is the highest frequency of love, again, who was sent to earth. He is, as heaven told me, the equal of Jesus Christ. He said, in terms of love frequency, he is equal to Jesus Christ. I just want to be clear on that. That's what I meant by that. But he stood and we all bowed to him respectfully, every one of us. And he, he put up his hands indicating that we all needed to be seated. And he looked directly into my eyes and he said, I want you to go back to earth. I want you to tell the Middle East, I am always with them. I have always been there. I have always prayed for them. I, as a matter of fact, I help pray for the world, not just the Middle East, the entire globe of earth as we know it. He told me wars will be coming to an end. He said, the wars need to come to an end. They must come to an end. Those were his words to me. And he said, he said, I must go now. And I'm looking at, oh, no, no, no. Before he said, I must go now. I asked him a question. Uh, he, he stopped talking, waiting for my response. And I said, Prophet Muhammad, respectfully, I, I don't know anything about you. Why are you asking me and telling me this information? Why are you asking me to put it in the book? And he said, I have my ways. And I thought, Wow. So not to get too off track here, but have you had an opportunity to do that? How in the world could you deliver a message to the Middle East? I don't know. I don't know. And I wrote my book because when he left the tent with all of the angels that came in, he, before he left, he directly again, looked in my eyes. He never stopped looking in my eyes. And he said, put the book out. Well, God already told me that. Jesus told me that. Archangel Michael told me that. Everybody sitting at the table told me that. They all kept saying, put the book out. Okay, so now he leaves the tent. It was quiet. All of us were sitting there. It, it was just such a heavy, impactful, in a positive way. And I think it was Marvin Gaye who broke the silence. And he said, Megan, he said, listen. You have to put the book out. You have to tell everybody our stories. It was not easy going through the civil rights. He said, I remember when Dr. King was assassinated. I remember what happened on the streets. 
And Ella Fitzgerald, you know, spoke as well. Terry Kath was talking to me. Quick pause here. This podcast is a labor of love, produced by me and my son, Will, who's a university student. The show is completely free for you. But today I'd like to ask a little favor. We want to keep growing and you are the key. If you'd take just a couple of seconds right now to hit the follow or subscribe button, then hit the share button to send it to a friend. We would really appreciate it. Now, back to our guest. Telling me about the music that he was playing and the things that they were up against, you know, in the 60s and 70s and what they thought. And I'm just, I'm sitting listening. And Freddie Mercury piped in and he said, listen, you know, I transitioned in the height of my career. And I want you to tell every gay person out there, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter. He said, we're all welcome here in heaven. He said, we're all welcome here. He said, that wasn't, that was not easy to do. And then Billy Barty shared with me how he was made fun of. And when he was a kid with his parents, people used to stop and laugh at him and say, oh, he should be in the circus. You know, so every one of these souls was sharing with me their souls, literally, and the the impact that Earth had on them in their lives. So they wanted me to come back and share that and talk to whoever will listen about what it was that their struggles were. You know, everybody has struggles. Yes, everybody has struggles. But what's interesting are the struggles that they went through. And basically, it, it all comes down to judgment and people not being accepted. That's what it came down to. And that was the main message that everybody kept saying to me. Acceptance is synonymous with love. And God said it to me as well. God, God us, every single one of them said, acceptance is synonymous with love. Take that for what it is, but it's true. It's very true. So every one of these souls shared with me I could ask you a hundred more questions at this point, but I don't want to be here all day. We have patient listeners already. I mean, things like, hey, well, why do you need to eat and drink and things like that? And what was the music like at that concert and et cetera? But we're not done yet, so we better move on. Tell me what happened next. Okay, so after that tent, I remember another point where I was standing in a circle in the center of a circle, and all of these archangels, saints, ascended masters were standing around me, and then cherubs were floating, or not floating, but fluttering, as they do. And they don't talk, by the way. I never heard a cherub talk. Fluttering as in wings? Yeah, they're wings. Okay. And they were gold. They were all 33 and a third carat gold, all of the angels. I was standing in the center, and they would raise their right hand, whoever spoke to me would raise their right hand, and the white beam of light would come from their hand and hit my soul. And I started to cry because I didn't want to go back to earth. I did not want to come back here. Then at one point, all of them had their hands up so that I could feel their love. That's what it was. They were sharing their love with me. When I felt that, I stopped crying. And then they had these messages. And I remember one female, she had long, long blonde hair, beautiful, beautiful, porcelain white skin hair. And she looked at me and said, something about coming back to earth and how they would all be there for me. I don't remember verbatim what she said. Then I remember moving along where I'm standing under this fig tree or no, it was an olive tree. It was an olive tree. 
Jesus and I were talking and St. Germain was sitting under the olive tree, holding his knees in, in the shade. And Jesus looked at me and he says, well, Megan, yeah, it's that time. And I said, Jesus, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to earth. And he said, I'm not God. He goes, look, I follow the orders just like you do. I thought, oh my God, I got to go through this. I got to go back. You know, he, he all of a sudden threw up a picture, this like 11 by 14 picture or eight by 10 picture of my my son and then husband. And both of them said um, telepathically, don't go. We need you. They said it simultaneously. And all of a sudden I looked at my son and I said to Jesus, I said, oh, my son needs me. I have to go back. And he said, okay, you better go back. They gave him a hug. They said goodbye. And as I was walking down the dirt road, I had to go to this shack this little tiny shack and take off my robe and put it in the laundry basket there. And it was this weaker laundry basket. And then I left and I was walking down the road to go back to my body and coming to my left in front of me, coming out to meet, greet me in the road was Prophet Muhammad. And all of these angels, all, all of the angels again, hundreds of them, I thought, oh my gosh, it seems Prophet Muhammad. So I walked up to him because this was the plan, you know, that we meet before I go back to my body. I said, oh, Prophet Muhammad, I don't want to leave. And he said, well, you have to go back to earth, man. And he was very kind. He was very sweet, so loving, so compassionate. I looked at him respectfully and I said, may I give you a hug? And he said, sure. And so I stood up on my toes because he was tall and I reached my arms around his neck to give him a hug and he gave me a hug. As soon as I let go of my arms, he let go of his. And then I stood before him and he said, Megan, he said, you will never be alone. He said, my hand will always be at your back. And I said, I don't know. I, I said, please forgive me, but I was raised Catholic, as you know, and I don't know if it's okay to say this, but I love you. And he looked at me and he said, I love you too. I mean, what more could I get? Another I love you before I left for earth. And, but at this time it was from Prophet Muhammad. And that was such a powerful moment for me. And then I, um, I had to go back to my body. So I remember waking up in the hospital the moment that I was like back on earth. And boy, I don't know who was in the room at that time in my hospital room, but I remember... I think there was a nurse there because I remember a woman standing there and I said, I just saw Jesus. I couldn't remember Prophet Muhammad right then. And I said, I just saw Jesus. And she goes, you saw Jesus? And I said, yeah, I did. I just saw him like a couple minutes ago. <laughs> it was funny. But anyway, it was a very powerful experience and I'm grateful for it. Wow, was it ever uh, so you went through a healing process. We don't need to get into all the detail about right. physical healing, but how did this change your life? How do you process something like this and move forward? And how different were you after it? You know, it takes a while to process because look, I've changed the way in which I feel things now or feel about situations now as compared to before, for instance, if something bad happened to me, oh, let's say um, the only thing that I can think of is the time that I was raped and I was 20 years old and I remember it was such, 
it was it was a horrible experience. And now I look at it, at that experience. I couldn't get out of that in my head. I couldn't. I could not accept that. And now I look at it and I go, wow, you know, that was actually a gift. It was a gift and it was love, you know, who is the creator, love is the creator, who was giving me an experience to know the bottom of what it's like to be without love and to not feel loved and to go through all of these, all of these different emotions, but then to have such an extreme where it's all you're sitting with is love and acceptance and beautiful, intelligent, incredibly fun people. And then coming back to earth and going, well, all right, this is what our life can be like, but it's about choice. How are we going to choose and how are we going to integrate people as just humans rather than, oh, this person believes this and this person believes this, therefore they're this way and they're better than whoever. And, and that's not the case at all. It's all encompassing. Heaven is all inclusive. It's not just this exclusive experience. Every experience has a reason. Every experience that we go through has a reason. So I, I've changed in that regard, realizing that it's not bad. It just is. And you were told to write a book. I was, yeah. Right? And it's called A Catalyst, My Five Days in Heaven. Yes. And do you feel like that represents well what happened to you? It represents some of what happened to me. Um, yes, I, I mean, absolutely. But there's so much more that I could put in there as a result of that experience. What I, I can't fit it all in one book. What I also had to remember in writing it was God had two messages for me that I had to come back and make clear on earth. And the two messages are acceptance is synonymous with love. The other one was, he said to me, marry science with religion. I thought, well, I'm not a scientist and I'm not religious. How am I supposed to do that? You know, but those were his two messages. So I did my best in my book to make that happen. Okay. If you don't mind a personal question, you do not have to answer if you don't want to. Did this experience influence your, um, your path to a divorce at all? I think it did. And the reason I can say that is everything in my marriage I thought was great until my husband saw me and something changed, something shifted. And I know I did. I know I was talking to heaven. I was meditating every day. I still do. I say prayers and he didn't. And so there came a point in my marriage where I was so, I, I felt ignored, you know, I felt ignored because when he'd come home, I hadn't seen him for however long because he's away at work. But then he didn't want to talk to me about what I was going through on an emotional level. He would listen to me. But finally, one day, I remember we were sitting in the kitchen and he said, stop talking about heaven. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I thought, Whoa. So it was about eight months later. I think it was about eight months later. I filed for divorce because I thought, you know, look, I can live this type of a lifestyle with him. I can have no, no issue for my son. He would never have to experience divorce. I didn't want to experience divorce. Oh my gosh. You know, but 
look, there came a point in my meditation where, you know, God basically told me, you have to file for divorce. There is no, you can't change his mind, meaning my husband, where he's at. It's not for you to do. He has to want to do that. And you guys are both, you're at a crossroads, Megan. I mean, you can basically live partially you, be your partial self with him, or you can go and be your complete self somewhere else, you know? So I chose to leave. I chose divorce. Well, I appreciate you opening up about that. I only ask because the divorce rate among people that have had experiences like this is very high. And so I'm trying to learn a little bit about maybe why. And it sounds like with you two, you were just a very different person afterwards. And maybe he wasn't married to the same person that he used to be. True. Yeah, because it was funny. I I mean, I was outwardly calling myself an atheist. And I never talked about God. I would just be like, ugh. You know, and when baptism, because my grandmother, when my son was born, she says, well, where are you getting him baptized? My son. And I said, I'm not. Well you can't do that. Oh, well, you know, because it was, uh, he needs to be protected. And I'm like, oh, Nani, I said, come on, please don't. (laughs) And then my, my husband would say, yeah, we don't, we don't need to go down that path. Look, look what the Catholic church did for us. We would joke, you know, together. And I say, yeah, right. You know, because that's how we both felt. But then here I come back from heaven and I'm like, oh, I just remembered my meeting with, with, Archangel Michael, or, oh, last night I had a visit from God. And and it did happen after my near-death experience. I remember this one night I got a visit from God, and this happened multiple times. I would tell him these things, and, and he'd be like, here we go again, this God thing, you know, this whatever. And and I'll tell you, there there was, this was really interesting. This was so weird. So I had... Um, a visit from God one night. I, you know, I was asleep and then I get pulled up to the clouds and I'm sitting in the clouds in my golden chair that I was sitting in, in temple and God was sitting in his chair. We're sitting straight across from each other and the clouds are going over our feet and we had a very long conversation and I don't remember the entire conversation, but I do remember his mission for me at that moment. He said, you will go back, you will write a letter to Elie Wiesel, and you will tell him the Pope is going to resign. And I said, wait, come on. What? I said, why are you you telling me this? He said, you will do it. And I said, okay, yeah, all right. So I wake up the next morning, and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to write a letter to Eloise L. I, I love Eloise L. And this poor man had gone through so much in his life with the Holocaust. How could I come to him? And why would he care if the Pope is going to resign? Furthermore. So I went to bed that night. Didn't think anything of it. Woke up the next day. Great. Okay. Getting ready. You know, my son getting ready for school or whatever. And I take him to school, do the whole thing. And then that night I go to bed. I get a visit from God again in the middle of the night same seating arrangements and he looks at me and he says why didn't she write the letter and I I can't I can't lie to him so I said well because I don't want to I said I don't want to because the guy's probably going to think I'm crazy 
And um, who cares if the Pope resigns? And, you know, I'm saying all of this stuff. And he said, that wasn't my question. I mean, I'm glad that you shared that with me, but that isn't my purpose coming to you. I'm telling you, you need to write that letter. And I thought, yeah, I know how intense you are. And I felt that intensity again. So I said, okay, all right. So the next day I wrote the letter. And it took me like two days because I thought to myself, oh my God, maybe I wrote it all in one day. But then I went and I um, went online and I found out Ellie Wiesel's office. He had an office in New York. And I, I overnighted the letter, signature required to his um, business. And it was received. It was signed for. And so I then talked to my Jewish therapist who said to me over the phone, how are you doing? I said, fine. Here's what I did. And here's the letter that I wrote. And I read it to her and she goes, well, you didn't mail it, did you? And I said, well, of course I did. I said, because God ordered me to. And she said, okay, well, you're not, you're not, you know, threatening anybody. You're not harming anybody. You're not harming yourself. You're not, you know. And I said, no, absolutely not. I said, I'm just giving the message and explaining, like, I come from this Catholic background and I'm embarrassed to send the letter. I mean, I was really honest with them. And she said, okay, well, and then we went on the rest of our session. So a few days later, I don't know, five, six days later, I get a phone call at about six o'clock in the morning. Phone's ringing and I, I'm not even awake yet. I said, hello. And she said, how the f did you know the Pope was going to resign? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. She said, turn on the TV right now. And sure enough, CNN, there it was, Pope's resignation. And she said, how did you know the Pope was going to resign? And I said, well, do we have to go through the CN? I said, I told you, God came to me a second time, and this is what happened. I'm not crazy. This stuff happens, and people get visits from God or Jesus or whoever. And so she said, listen, I'm starting to believe now in this heaven thing that you went through. And I thought, well, that's great. But, you know, I, I don't know what it does, you know, that I, I was told the Pope was going to resign and it actually happened. But I just thought I'd share that. So maybe that was the reason for the letter, for her to believe a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. My, my then-husband didn't believe. He was like, he did find it very strange. He thought, how did you know that? How, how did you know that? That's a big coincidence, girl, right? Well, it's no coincidence because I wasn't following in the news or the Catholic Church, so. You mentioned his intense look or his intense gaze at you. Can you describe to us what he looked like? Yeah, the Shroud of Turin. So the reason that I know this is after my near-death experience, uh, one night I was watching National Geographic and they started talking about the Shroud of Turin. And I thought, what is the Shroud of Turin? And where it's located in Italy in this little Catholic church, and it's, you know, in this glass case, and da da da. And all of a sudden they show the face and they said, This is Jesus' face. And I went, I'm laying there, uh, nobody's with me. And I thought, Oh my God, that's God's face. That's not Jesus. That's God. People think that's Jesus? No. So it wasn't Jesus, it, it's God's face. And the reason that his eyes are closed is because. He was showing his disappointment that humanity had just killed this, you know, highest frequency of love. He sent to earth to be 
the highest frequency of love on earth, and he was murdered. Do you remember the color of his eyes? God's eyes? No, I don't. I remember his um, skin. He had this like tan skin. Um, Jesus was darker. He had this very brown, brown um, skin. I mean, he was, come on, he, he lived in Israel, you know, so how could he not have darker skin? And he was beautiful. Oh my God, Jesus, I'm talking about. God, I won't say anything like that about because he's God. We need to wrap up here. What you've given us a lot of things to think about, some really good advice and other things. What last thoughts would you like to leave with everybody that's listening today? I would like to say take responsibility for your actions in every day when you wake up. Treat people as though you would want to be treated yourself. Treat people as being an extension of love because they are. Treat people, everyone, treat every human as love, not as different. Beautifully said. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And that was a lot of fun. And thanks for letting me share so openly. Thanks to you for listening. And remember to follow and share this podcast. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.